MashaAllah. Alhamdulillah. Very lucky, very fortunate. Once again, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings us together in His house to pray to Him, to worship to Him, to appreciate Him, to be together with the community and to spend some moments in reflection in the company of the angels, the malaika, and to better ourselves spiritually, mentally, emotionally, even physically as well. And a chance for us to think about life, think about why we're here, what we should be doing, which direction we're heading in, and how we can better ourselves and make progress. Because that's the most important thing, progress. And the Sahaba used to say that if, yes, if today wasn't better than yesterday, then we've not really achieved anything. So each coming day should be better than the day before. And when we say better, that's not just in one area. So we're not just talking about Salah. We're not just talking about your concentration in Salah. We're not just talking about how many Salah you pray. Generally, we, our Islam is all focused just on the Salah. And Salah is very important. And that should be the focus. But that's not only Islam. It could be about the way you speak to somebody. It could be the way you respond to somebody. It's the way you think about something. We need to develop in all areas. May Allah give us a tawfiq. So Alhamdulillah, over the last so many weeks now, we've been practicing something which is um, something that's integral to our Iman, our faith, and our betterment. Spiritual betterment, physical betterment, emotional betterment, and mental betterment. In all areas, this key element, it pushes us to become better people um, in every aspect. And the Quran calls us again and again to implement this. And what is it? What is it we're speaking about? Who can tell me? Okay, gratefulness, showing gratitude, shukr. And this is something we've spoken about. And you might be thinking, well, how, why do we keep going on about this? We can never stop speaking about this. We can never stop doing shukr. Have we done shukr for everything? Have we done shukr for everything we have? We haven't. If we had come to a stage where we had done shukr for everything we have, even then, we can't stop doing shukr. And we learn this from the story of Prophet Dawud in the Quran, where Dawud was blessed by Allah with many, many blessings. And he realized that he needs to thank Allah and make shukr, and he did. And the time doesn't allow us to go into the details of the story. But the end result was where he realized that he doesn't have the capability to completely or finish ever complete doing the shukr of Allah. And that Allah gave a command. And Allah said, I'malu ala Dawood shukra. The O family of Dawood, carry out the act of gratefulness. I'malu. Do you know how you act out salah? You act out fasting. And you act out hajj. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling him, I'malu ala Dawood shukra. O family of Dawood alayhi salam, I want you to do the amal. I want you to be practical in your shukr and your express, expression of being grateful to me. And then he complains about you and me in the Quran. 
Allah says, very few of my servants are grateful. So we want to be from the, those who show gratitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to the things in life. And this has many benefits. Quran says, وَمَنْ شَكَرَ فَإِنَّمَا يَشْكُرُ لِنَفْسِهِ Whoever shows gratitude is grateful. He only does it or she only does it for themselves. Meaning the benefits are there immense for yourself. Spiritual benefits, but even from a physical aspect. If you look now, the scientists are speaking about those people who show gratitude, they sleep better at night. Those people who show gratitude, they feel less pain. Those people who show gratitude, they are much more resilient. Those people who feel gratitude, they are much more happier inside. Those people who show gratitude, they have better relationships. These are tried and tested studies, statistics of thousands of people over so many years, which is, it's nothing surprising because Quran has already told us all these things. But unfortunately, we kind of listen to these kind of things more, new discoveries. It's not a new discovery. Quran already said it. And the Prophet told us about the psychological effect shukr has on an individual, where automatically when a person is a person of shukr, then you appreciate even the smallest things in life. And the hadith tells us. And when a person doesn't have shukr, then even the greatest things in life a person will not appreciate. And you'll always think that life is unfair. I don't have anything. It's not working out for me. Other people and a person will always go into comparisons. Look at him, look at her. What about, and you know how kids always do. Why does he have to do? Why does he get it? Why does she get it? Okay. As adults, we do exactly the same thing. We might not, you know, uh, we might not say it. But in our minds, in our hearts, it's always this is battle going on all the time. So uh, the purpose of me giving this introduction is we want to push further now into this. And we want to dig more deeper into it. And inshallah, we're going to push ourselves into the deep end. Now, maybe we've never done this before, right? But it's a challenge and we should be up for challenges. And we're all here. This is no test. This is no, uh, you know, it's, it's not a kind of cut, trying to cut somebody out or anything like that. We're all together and a lot of times being in a setting like this makes it easier for us to reflect on certain things when we hear. And that's what the benefit of communities. We learn something from everybody. Uh, it's not just me speaking. Everybody gives some input and we learn something from, from everyone. So today what we're going to do. So I know we've been practicing this for a number of weeks. Now we're going to go a little bit further. Um, and what we're going to do today is we're going to focus because it's easy when you say, tell me something that you feel grateful to Allah for in this moment. And it's easy for someone to say, oh, my parents or my house or my car or my job or my health. Okay, Th these things are easy. And like, they're just, they're, they're really big things. They're huge things. And everybody kind of appreciates those things to a certain degree. But it's a matter of going deeper and looking at even the smallest of things, which are not small. They, they might be small in size, but they're huge in their function. And without which, it would cause you great difficulty and pain. It's just that we've not taken a moment to reflect on them or think about them or ponder upon them. 
So today's focus is going to be solely, solely on yourself. Now, in the now, in the present, what you have in terms of your physical body that Allah has given you and the mechanism that's running inside, everything that's running inside you. So we don't have to go out. Okay, we're not outsourcing our gratitude or our feeling of happiness. We're trying to find it inside within us. Because Allah has put, and Quran says, وَفِي أَنفُسِكُمْ أَفَلَا تُبْصِرُونَ Allah says, don't you look at yourself inside you? Allah says, can't you see? So within us, we have so much going on. How much time have we taken out to reflect and ponder? Number one. Number two, in our moments where we are down, where we are upset, where we're challenged, we're going through a difficult time, we don't need anything external to bring about that internal happiness. We can look within us, and this will only happen if we practice it overall on a regular basis. You can't expect to be in a challenging moment and then start feeling gratitude if you've not practiced it outside of those moments. The Prophet and the Prophets and the Sahaba generally we find they practice gratitude throughout every single day and any moment that was possible. And we should, since we've woken up, we should have already practiced this on several occasions. And remember, we said gratitude is a human emotion. When we woke up in the morning, we were supposed to have said, Alhamdulillah, this is not lip service, this is not just words. And this is why it's imperative for us to know the meaning. And I would go a step further and say that for those, if, you're, if, if the language which you talk to yourself in, which language do you talk to yourself in? We all talk to ourselves, don't we? Yeah, all day, constantly, we have approximately 50,000 different dialogues that we have with ourselves, inside us. They're silent, we can't hear it, but you're talking, even now you're talking to yourself. Right now, as I'm speaking now, you're saying something to yourself, aren't you? Yeah, it sounds silly now, doesn't it? Yeah, but it's true. Constantly inside. So the language in which you talk to yourself, I believe it's imperative that you also learn these du'as in that language as well. So read the du'a in Arabic for its blessings, for its barakah, for its spirituality, because it's a sunnah. But I believe strongly. Do you know how we watching, you, you, you know, you, you watch these movies and they're having Thanksgiving dinner and they say, come on, let's say grace. Okay, they say, let's say grace. And, you know, all the kids are there sitting there and the father and the mother and the, no one eats and they say, let's say grace. And they say a few words. Oh, oh, oh God, we thank you for all the blessings that you've given us. Now, it's very similar to what we do when we sit to eat, don't we? Okay, oh, and when we finish eating. But you tell me, when we read the dua after eating, do we actually think about what we're saying? Do we? we I don't think we do. And that's imperative to know the meaning because that's much more powerful. I'm not undermining the sunnah, don't get me wrong. The sunnah, the dua, the Arabic, we should learn it. We should read it. But along with that, there should be something worth saying, at least to ourselves, if not verbally, for us to bring, because just now we've woken up. You might say, Alhamdulillah, but the gratitude isn't there. Gratitude's not there. Remember, gratitude is a very powerful human emotion. It's a feeling where you feel, wow, Allah, you've given me another life. I was dead. Do we feel that? 
Okay? When you wear your clothes, there should be gratitude. Uh, you actually feel, wow, you know, Alhamdulillah, alladhi kasani hadha warazaqarihi min ghayri hawlin minni wala quwa. When we just wore it. Okay? The, the dua is there. The promise of forgiveness of sins is there. But is the gratitude there? So it's, gratitude is not just words. It's to actually feel. Similarly, I'm 100% certain that 99.9% .9 of us, when we woke up in the morning, we answered the call of nature, we went to the toilet, and you've relieved yourself. And that is an amazing, amazing, amazing gift of Allah, to be able to relieve yourself. And there's a beautiful dua of gratitude again, which we're taught to read. Alhamdulillah alladhi aafani. Alhamdulillah alladhi again this is a moment of gratitude if you just read it as a ritual okay maybe you'll get the reward for practicing the sunnah but that's not gratitude remember gratitude comes from inside and that's to feel to feel and to experience that moment of being extremely grateful to Allah that oh Allah this was so troublesome and you've taken that troublesome difficulty away it was inside me it was bothering me and uh, you know I was struggling and to feel that relief and attribute that to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala this is this is something that will this is transformative your day will be different your life will be different you as a person will become a different person because you're starting yourself off in such a positive way. So spiritually, you'll become closer to Allah just by going to the toilet. Okay, just by eating your food, just by waking up in the morning. Mentally, you'll just feel much more positive and better. You'll just feel much more happier. Okay, and emotionally, you'll be able to be more expressive. Physically, okay, scientists have proven so many benefits as well. Okay, you'll have better sleep at night, you'll be better in your relations, you'll be more resilient, you'll be able to, uh, you, you'll feel painless as well. And the list is endless. I, I, we don't have time to go into the list of the benefits right now. So what we're going to do now is we're going to speak about, so we're going to ponder and reflect just for a minute or for, for, for a minute maximum, just so that it gives us a bit of time. And then what we want to do today is only reflect on something you feel grateful to Allah for in your body, inside, something in your body. That's it. Maybe you haven't thought that far, but we have to push ourselves. And when we push ourselves out of the box, okay, and that, you know, when sometimes you push yourself into the deep end, that is what it starts challenging you to start thinking beyond. Otherwise, we just, we're very superficial. We stay on top, above the water, and it'll just be, yeah, I, I thank Allah for my house, and for my parents, and for my health, and for my car, which are great things. But that, is, that, is that all I've got? Are we always going to wait for something great to happen? Like, a lot of people are living life today, and they're unhappy. Why? Because they're waiting for something great to happen. They're waiting, for example, to, for, for a holiday, which is, they don't even, they've not even booked it yet. So they're waiting for this grand holiday they're going to have. 
maybe in two years time or they're waiting for this grand occasion to come to their life and up until then they, they feel like I've got nothing to look forward to I've got nothing to be happy about I've got nothing to appreciate is that is that how we're going to carry on living life or has Allah granted us so much forget things and material things even within us if we learn to do this you will it's transformative and you can change now you can become that great person now it's just a matter of you changing your mindset and looking deeper and within so what let's wherever you're sitting okay just sit comfortably there take a deep breath inside breathe in such a way that you breathe all the way not just to your stomach imagine your breathing is going all the way to your feet and then breathe out from exhale from your mouth this this breathing is something we do. how many times a day anybody know how many times a day do we breathe anybody know how many times a day do we breathe breathe now in a way that you're actually aware of your breathing and follow the path of the air that's going in all the way imagine it going all the way down you're, you're inhaling all the way inside and then you're exhaling it from your mouth just just follow the follow the path be aware of your breathing and be focused it'll bring you now into the now into the present your mind won't wonder because you're doing something now to carry on doing this and whilst you're doing this two things I want you to do one is know that what you're breathing in this is Allah's mercy this is the Rahmah of Allah part of Allah's Rahmah and Allah's mercy that's so closer to us Allah says that we're even closer to you than your own jugular vein okay this is part of Allah's mercy if it wasn't for imagine Allah switched the air off this is something we're doing constantly all the time. Allah is blessing me with this blessing constantly. Every single second, even when I'm sleeping, even when I'm disobeying, even when I'm eating, even when, when I'm really sad and I feel I don't have anything. This is Allah's providing me. He's sustaining for me. This is my risk. My breathing is a set of risk. So one is to know that this is the mercy of Allah. So close to us, constantly coming in, and out and this is for everybody remember in the world everyone gets Allah's mercy believers and the disbelievers okay so whilst we're doing this I want you to ponder and reflect and think of something now whilst you're doing this now you'll be able to think about all the areas where the air is passing in your body and you'll be able to think about something that you feel grateful to Allah for okay so I'm gonna start the way we're going to say this, similar to how we've been doing in the last so many weeks, is Alhamdulillah, in this moment, I feel grateful to Allah for, and then you'll say what you feel grateful to Allah for, okay? In this moment, Alhamdulillah, in this moment, I feel grateful to Allah for. So I'll make a start, inshallah. 
So Alhamdulillah, in this moment, I feel grateful to Allah for the saliva that He has placed inside our mouth. There are many people that they don't have the saliva there. They have to take medication to create this saliva. I don't know if you've ever experienced where your mouth goes dry. And you don't think about it normally, but isn't this a blessing of Allah that He's given us something where automatically saliva is just being created again and again. Should we thank Allah for this? Okay, this is something to think about. Quran is inviting us again and again. Look in yourself. You have, you have treasures upon treasures upon treasures that Allah has given you. Um, so again, in the same way, let's continue. Whatever you can think of and share from within you only. We're not talking about anything external. And we don't want it to be general for my health. No, we want you to be specific now. Go down to the, to the smallest things that you can think about. And this will begin opening your mind and becoming closer in gratitude to Allah. So Alhamdulillah, in this moment, I feel grateful to Allah for. Alhamdulillah. Next. Okay, the back and the bones. If someone's been struggling with the back, okay, you know how great it is to have a good, functioning, healthy back. Boys, do you want to have a turn? For ears, mashallah. Again, those people, I was speaking to somebody a few days ago and uh, he, he's, one of his ears have become blocked. And he was saying, so only then I realized how well we hear and we can hear things. He thought, I, I thought it'll go away. You know, sometimes you, you know, when you're on a plane and because of the high altitude, you kind of, your hearing kind of goes in the ears. He goes, I'm waiting for my ears to pop. And it's just not happened. It's been a, so many days and it's just not happened. And it's then you realize that, wow, we're blessed with this, but we don't realize this. Yes. The heartbeat. Okay. Now when you are breathing, okay. Some of you may have noticed your heartbeat. Yes. No. Yeah. Normally we don't notice it. When you slow down and you start to focus and you start breathing and they say the ideal number of breaths you should have in a minute is about five. I think we do much more than that normally. Okay. And if you can breathe and make your breathing coherent with your heart, that would become much more better for you. It's, it's very healthy. And then it, it actually opens up the heart and the mind and the breathing together. Um, but that, that's for another time, inshallah. Alhamdulillah. The stomach, digestion. I mean, what would happen if we eat and the, the system, and sometimes it doesn't, it doesn't work as good as, you know, it generally does. And that's when we realize how much of a benefit and great blessing this is. Arms, mashallah, very good. Tongue, alhamdulillah. Those who've, those who've had COVID, 
um, and if you lost your taste, sense of taste, you will now be able to understand that how valuable this, this is, just to be able to taste. For your legs, alhamdulillah, if it wasn't for our legs, none of us would be the way we are now. Brother at the back. Alhamdulillah. So just now we, we were focusing on our breathing and it allows us to think about what we have and the system that we have and lungs obviously without which we wouldn't be able to breathe properly. For the brain, subhanallah, such a great blessing. Without the brain, you know, none of us would be able to give a response to what we're doing now and, and so many other things. The ability to breathe, okay? Some people struggle, have you seen? Okay, people and throughout COVID we've seen, one of the things people struggle with is actually breathing. Such a simple thing that we do constantly all the time, but we don't think about. Okay, to be able to breathe, this is a blessing. This is Allah's blessing, Alhamdulillah. We should, do we feel grateful to Allah? That's the question. That's the question, yeah. The sight, alhamdulillah. MashaAllah, hair in general. Yes, a lot of people, you know, they struggle. So alhamdulillah, that's a great thing. Alhamdulillah. For the heart, okay? The heart is, the heart is everything. The heart is everything. Without the heart, without a healthy heart, uh, we wouldn't be able to do anything that we're doing and the fact that it's beating and it's working so perfectly okay we're, we're busy in our kind of things and Allah's like doing this for us it's happening constantly all the time yes memory subhanallah imagine we didn't remember anything uh, okay we wouldn't be able from now when we're going home we'd lose our house each time <laughs> where did I put my shoes where where do I live Yes. For the bones. Okay. The bones, again, each and every one of these is a topic in itself. Okay. It's a whole world. If you can, you see the heart, the breathing, the lungs, the memory, the bones, the arms, the eyes, the ears. Each thing is, we can, we can sit here and talk about each of these things for a whole year and still not finish speaking about the benefits of each of these things. Yet we haven't taken out even one moment to feel grateful. So this is just opening our minds to see how much Allah has given us and how much grateful we should be to Allah. Subhanallah, so the heel itself. So people speak about feet in general, but then each part of the foot has its own function. Yes. Kidneys. Okay, I'm sure we all know somebody who's on dialysis, for example, whose kidneys are not functioning. Again, it's not something we think about. But the fact that this is something that's happening, a cleansing system, a filtration that's happening constantly, even now as we're sitting here, we don't even realize this is going on in our bodies. 
for your nose. Wow, mashallah. If it wasn't for our nose, it's not just smelling. There's a lot of things that people do. Um, just now, uh, when we were speaking about the, the hearing, um, the brother was saying to me that, because it's only now I realize that your hearing is connected to balance. Okay? You don't think about that. You don't think of it like that. It's only when you can't hear properly or your ears blocked, you start feeling kind of dizzy. You lose balance. So can you see how all of these things are so interconnected? So we generally might just connect the nose to smell. But there'll be so many other benefits which we don't realize now. It's only when a person loses that sense of smell. Again, during COVID, a lot of people lost the sense of smell. Okay? And it has a lot of impact. For your guts, alhamdulillah. Again, for having that system inside um, and doing the process that it does so well. This is why that dua is very powerful. Where we say, alhamdulillah, alladhi adhaba anil adha wa'afani. Feeling grateful. You come out of the toilet, you actually feel relief inside you. But do we dedicate and attribute that to Allah? And saying, oh Allah, you know, I, I, I really appreciate that you've taken away that which caused me discomfort and you've given me relief. Skin, subhanallah. So again, many benefits of the skin, a whole topic in itself. Um, and, and for those who've had difficulties, will know uh, in regards to how it is to have good and healthy skin and how skin overall is a, is a bounty of Allah. For the hands, again, we use them constantly. Even now, as we're sitting, okay, we're never just sitting, are we? We're always doing something with our hands. We can't count them. If we try to count them, we can't count them. So, which is very, very true. But we should try and look and find, like Allah says, Allah says, look in yourself. Look, search, and appreciate the bounties of Allah. Uh, having all our fingers and the thumb as well. People speak about, you know, the thumb. And without the thumb or without any one finger if you've ever got a plaster somewhere okay that's when you think hang on okay the first thing that affects you when you sit to eat before you eat taking the food out and you think hang on i've been using this every single day and i've not realized that you think oh i'll be all right it's only one of the fingers and then on so many other things as well you realize that wow next Subhanallah. So the faculty of thinking, being able to think and use your brain and it's something that differentiates human beings from animals of having, having that conscious. MashaAllah. So this is going deep now. Okay. Having white blood cells. Okay, having white blood cells, what does it create? Antibodies. Havisabi is a school teacher, okay, so uh, he's probably teaching this kind of stuff as well. So, 
And, and it's good because this helps you to become closer to Allah and recognize each of his blessings. Um, so creating antibodies inside us helps us to stay away from illnesses. Wow, this is something great. Do we think about these things? We, we, sorry, we just think, oh, Allah just made me ill. He just wants everyone to be, and we're going through COVID. And, but no, he's created within us this system to fight these illnesses, to fight the virus already inside us. Yes, we're, we're using things from external to prevent these things. But even within our bodies, Allah has created so many things to ensure that we remain healthy and well. And it just shows Allah's mercy and his kindness towards us. Livers, alhamdulillah, having the liver, uh, again, it's a whole world in itself. Each of these things are great, great. They might seem small in size, but each, each one has a massive impact on our daily life, which we don't think about. Do you want to tell us something? What do you want to tell us? You want to say thank you to Allah for something? Yes, very good. He's, I've noticed since we started, he's still practicing the deep breathing. <laughs> Mashallah. So, yes, so the breathing, Alhamdulillah. Okay. So there we go, Alhamdulillah, as we can see. When, when, it's, when it's all there, we don't think about it. But it's a matter of... This is, this is what we're trying to do. Why we're doing this now is so that this becomes a daily habit. So that when we are challenged and we're in difficult moments, our gratitude, daily gratitude helps us to get through, through those moments. And we don't think, oh, I, you know, the worst things happen to me in the world. And I'm the worst off. And I'm like, no, you've got so much else to feel grateful for. And this will only happen if we practice this daily, every single day. Stomach, alhamdulillah. Yes. Alhamdulillah. Joints. Okay. There's actually a hadith that speaks about this. That Allah has given, the hadith says that each person has 360 joints uh, 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 to the nearest meaning, the hadith mentions. Um, and it's a responsibility upon every Muslim, every human, for every believer to show gratitude to Allah on behalf of every joint every day. And to give a sadaqah, it's the hadith is, to give a sadaqah on behalf of every joint, every day. Sahaba said, Ya Rasulullah, who's got 360 pounds? Okay, we might do it one day, two days. How are we going to give 360 pounds every single day? And the Prophet wasallam then said, Now remember, these actions are to show that you feel gratitude to Allah for the joints. That's when he said, Subhanallah is a sadaqah. Removing something that gives trouble to somebody from the path is a sadaqah. To smile in the face of your brother is a sadaqah. 
to put a morsel of food in your wife's mouth is a sadaqah. And to have intimacy is also sadaqah. And the Sahaba said, Ya Rasulullah, how can intimacy be sadaqah? How can we get reward? And the Prophet said, Well, if you did it in a haram way, wouldn't you get sin? And the Sahaba said, Yes. If you get sin there, you get reward over here. So can you see again over here, speaking about joints, it reminds us of this hadith on, on, on the Sulama ibn Adam, that we have all these joints, so many joints inside us. And Allah is telling us through this hadith, the Prophet is telling us that every day I should feel grateful to Allah and express it on behalf of every joint. Okay, how do we do it? So Alhamdulillah, we do these acts anyway, don't we? All these acts, to an extent, everyone does good actions. But if we did it with gratitude in mind, that you're doing it because you feel grateful, it'll just be a transformative experience. It'll make you a different person. You'll make progress. It won't be just a ritual. You won't just be a robot, just practicing the physical and the form of Islam. You'll be practicing the, 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 the essence of Islam which is transformation, it's change, it's progress, is becoming closer to Allah and becoming a better person. It's a state of being, not just doing. And there's a whole difference in there. Last one. Wow, mashallah, the ribcage, okay? Imagine if we didn't have that. Okay, by now I think we'd all be dead. Okay, the ribcage is protecting very important vital organs the heart the lungs and other things uh, inside us alhamdulillah um just think about you know when we said hands and fingers um brother tamjid mentioned the fingers being intact i was just thinking this morning as i was coming here and i was thinking like certain things where people of the past may not have appreciated how many of us how many of us on their phone or any other device do you use your fingerprint to unlock your phone or something like anything else maybe at work or something how many of us do that? Okay, I, I'm, I'm sure it's quite common nowadays. And again, think about it. Like Quran speaks about the fingerprint. Quran actually speaks about the fingerprint and how every one of us have got. And you might think, well, what's the benefit of a fingerprint unless you've committed a crime? Okay, and the forensics, you know, have kind of discovered that right. Okay, this matches your fingerprint. But besides that. A lot of us are using this bounty and gift of Allah every day for your personal security, for your peace of mind. You don't want anyone going through your phone, okay? You've got your cards on there, you've got private information on there, you've got conversations on there, you don't want other people to read. This is something Allah is giving you every single day, a sense of security, a sense of safety. And they're using your fingerprint, okay, to access that and to make your life that much more easier. Isn't this a bounty? Okay, if we don't speak about these things, we have to talk about them. That's the only way. We have to speak about them. We have to verbalize them. And that will get us to think. So this, this what we've just done now, this is very profound. It will take us very far in life. And we need to do much more of it. Much more of it. Quran is telling that, I'malu ala Dawood shukra wa qalilun min shakur. Especially as we are going through difficult, challenging times. Where outside everyone's are speaking about doom and gloom. Switch on the news, you just see doom and gloom. Anyone you speak to, they just doom and gloom. In a time like that, we need much more of these kind of gatherings, which are uplifting. Let us see that we're not just trying to pretend to be positive. This is not fakeness. We're not just pretending, are we? 
Okay, we're not just saying, oh, don't worry, everything's going to be okay. It's not one of those fancy talks that we're doing. This is real stuff. This is real. This, this is 101% this is accurate and real. We've not invented something or innovated something now, have we? We've not just said, oh, let's just imagine you're, you're, you're in a good condition. We're not saying that. This is in the now, right now, what you can feel inside you, Allah is doing for you. And all of these things we've learned from everybody, okay, they apply to all of us. Every single thing, that's why it was so unique today, that every single thing everybody said, it applies to every single one of us, okay? And if we had another hundred people sitting here, and they would say their own individual things, all of them would apply to us. And if we had a thousand people sitting here, and they were to say their pieces, every single one of them would apply to us as well. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us a tawfiq individually as well. This is something that we should do on a regular basis. Okay, let's have a quick recap of last time's lesson. Lesson number 30. I know it's about three weeks ago. So let's have a quick recap. Who can remind us? What did we speak about? And... Okay, so we're speaking about how Rasulullah planted the love of Masjid Al-Aqsa in the hearts of the Ummah. And we've gone on to speaking about the Sahaba and their link to Palestine and Baytul Maqdis. So we've started on um, going through the Sahaba. What, what kind of Sahaba, which Sahaba in particular are we going through? Who remember? Who can remind us? Let's go in order. So we're going in alphabetical order, Arabic alphabetical order. But before we speak about the alphabetical order, what type of Sahaba are we speaking about? No. Yes. No, that's something we spoke about last week. I know it's been three weeks, so I don't expect anyone to remember. But... Um, of course, that is our topic. But we said, remember we had the session where we spoke Sahaba visited for different reasons. Okay? Yes. So we're, going, we're, we're starting off by those Sahabas that were responsible in leading armies. In Asham, in Palestine, in Baytul Maqdis. So they were responsible. They had a significant role in actually leading or organizing these armies that went there. Okay? So that, those are, this is the group of Sahaba that we're speaking about. Then we'll move on to others, uh, you know, the other reasons that we mentioned people visited. So we said we're going to go in alphabetical order and we spoke about two Sahaba that begin with Alif. Okay. Uh, the first one. It's not Abu Lais. You're thinking about someone else. Abu Al-A'war. As-Sulami, okay? Abu Al-A'war As-Sulami radiyallahu anhu. Okay, so the first Sahabi we spoke about was Abu Al-A'war As-Sulami radiyallahu anhu. Very good. Does anyone remember anything we spoke about him? We mentioned like two or three points in regards to Abu Al-A'war As-Sulami. Yes. Okay, that's good. Well remembered. So Abu Ubaidah Amir ibn al-Jarrah radiyallahu anhu made Abu al-A'war as-Sulami responsible for laying a siege around the area of Tiberias. 
okay, north of Palestine. And that siege actually led towards the conquest of that area. So he plays a significant role, doesn't he? Okay, the siege that he laid led to the conquest of the area. So this is his kind of contribution uh, to the conquest of that area of Palestine. And um, anything else we remember regarding him? When Uthman ibn Affan who passed away, Abu al-A'war al-Sulami was the governor of Jordan. And there was one more point we mentioned regarding him. When the Muslims came out to meet Sayyidina Umar anhu at the conquest of Baytul Maqdis, he was also amongst those people because he was already there. He also came to welcome him. So that was the first Sahabi we spoke about, Abu al-A'war al-Sulami anhu. Who was the second Sahabi we spoke about? We're still on Alif. Abu Umama al-Bahili radiyallahu anhu. A much more famous companion of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa Abu Umama al-Bahili radiyallahu anhu. Who can tell us something about him? Yes. Okay, very well remembered. Um, so we'll come to that in a moment. Before that, we mentioned uh, something about Abu Umama al-Bahili, and then we'll come to what Abu just mentioned uh, in detail. Very good. So Abu Umam al-Bahili was one of the Sahaba who actually lived in Palestine and also Damascus as well. We spoke about he lived in both places and he was from the last of the Sahaba to come to Asham. He participated in the farewell Hajj at the age of 30. Okay, so these memories are coming to us now. Okay. Um, so there's a story, what have we just mentioned regarding the wudu hadith? There's a story behind it. Who can tell us that story very briefly? So what happened? So there's a person, he says that he visited Baytul Maqdis, Palestine, Jerusalem, and then he left from there. Where was he going? He was going to Damascus. How long before Damascus did he meet somebody? Okay, two miles before he got to Damascus, he met somebody. And what did he ask him? What did he say to him? Where are you coming from? So he met somebody. He said, where are you coming from? And what did the man say? I'm coming from? Baytul Maqdis, from Jerusalem. So he asked him, did you meet who? The Sahabi, Abu Umama al-Bahili, when you were in Baytul Maqdis in Jerusalem, did you meet Abu Umama? He said, yes. Did Abu Umama tell you anything? He said, yes. What did he tell you? And that's when he narrated the hadith. He said, Abu Umama told me that he heard the Prophet wasallam say that when anybody performs wudu in a good manner, Allah will forgive all his sins he committed that day by his feet in going towards evil, by his hands in touching evil, by his eyes in looking at evil, by his ears in listening to evil, and by his mind in thinking of evil. And he said, did you really hear that from Abu Umama told you this hadith? 
He says, yes. What did he say? He says, haram upon me to enter into Damascus until I don't go all the way back to Baytul Maqdis and hear this hadith for myself. So he returned. He's nearly in Damascus. He comes all the way back to Jerusalem. He finds Abu Umama al-Bahili in Masjid al-Aqsa. He sits with him and he says, I just met a person by Damascus who heard this hadith from you. Did you really hear this from the Prophet wasallam? And he says, by Allah, wallahi. He says, by Allah, I heard this. Indeed, I heard this hadith directly from the Prophet wasallam. And this was our last campaign. I don't know if anybody's been able to practice this. Anybody be able to practice this? Okay, so we need to practice this. Is wudu, again, like today we did wudu this morning. We've all done wudu, right? I'm sure there's no one here without wudu, right? Yeah, we all did wudu before fajr. Yeah, anybody who came without wudu? No, okay. It just reminds me in, 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 the, in the student days, when you're in a boarding school um, and you have like these um, supervisors who are very strict, carrying like a stick around and stuff. I remember fajr time, I can, uh, you know, and it happens in, in probably all over the world where, where, where you're young and you, you, you have no sense of what's going on. You're a young kid and you're just saving yourself from getting into trouble. So many kids would probably just run into the masjid, okay, and not even do wudu because they don't want to be in trouble. They don't want the detention. They don't want the, you know, their name to get on there and be in trouble. So let's hope no one's come like that here today. So when you're performing wudu, like, are we present in our wudu or is our mind just you know, loitering around everywhere. When we're doing wudu, and that's with anything really. And one of the easiest ways to bring yourself is to, to focus on your breathing, to just breathe slower. And that automatically brings you into the moment. Um, but yeah, so when we're doing wudu, something for us to practice is this hadith of Abu Umama that was narrated inside Masjid Al-Aqsa because wudu is a spiritual cleansing process. So when you're washing your hands, okay, the sins you committed with your hands are being forgiven. When you're washing your mouth, okay, the sins you committed by the tongue are being forgiven. And throughout the body, the limbs, all the sins, this is a spiritual cleansing process. So everybody will try and do this, inshallah. Okay, let's move on to today's uh, lesson. Lesson number 31. How Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam planted the love of Masjid al-Aqsa in the hearts of the Ummah. Lesson number 31. We're speaking about the Sahaba in Baytul Maqdis and Palestine part 5. So we're going to continue discussing the Sahaba that led armies during the conquest of Palestine in alphabetical order. We're still on Alif and today we're going to speak about none other than Sayyiduna Abu Bakr radiyallahu ta'ala anhu. A great companion or the greatest companion of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So Sayyidina Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu had a very strong connection to Palestine since the days of Jahiliyyah. So he wasn't just in Islam. Even before he, be, he was a Muslim, he was very strongly linked to Palestine, to Asham, to Baytul Maqdis. We learn from a hadith reported by Imam Ahmad in his Musnad that when Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was on the journey of hijrah, migration. Who was with him? Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Now when they were on the route, because it, that route from Makkah to Medina, the one they were taking, that was the same route that Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu would take regularly to go to Asham and Baytul Maqdis. 
everyone they came across recognized Abu Bakr. They didn't recognize the Prophet ﷺ, but the hadith tells us that whoever he came across, they recognized Abu Bakr. Why did they recognize him? Because he frequented that route to go to Asham. But who did they not recognize? The Prophet ﷺ. Thus the hadith goes on to mention, or the tarikh and the seerah mentions, that people would ask Abu Bakr, who is this man regarding the Prophet And what would he reply? He's my guide who's showing me the way. He's my, remember they were going secretly and there was an arrest warrant. They were searching for the Prophet So he couldn't divulge the secret. So instead he didn't say this is the Prophet of Allah. What did he say? He is my guide. He's showing me the way. He didn't lie, did he? Okay, he didn't lie. He wasn't very clear. He didn't say this is the Prophet of Allah. But he, this is Muhammad, no. But instead, he said it in a way which is also true. He is the guide, isn't he? They took one meaning and he took another meaning. They thought, oh, he's your guide, meaning he's showing you the way. But in reality, no, he's my guide towards Jannah, towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So from that particular hadith, we learn that people recognize Abu Bakr because he would frequent that route when he would go to Asham and Baytul Maqdis uh, on, on his journey. Sayyidina Abu Bakr anhu, he followed the footsteps of the Prophet wasallam and left no stone unturned in working towards the conquest of Baytul Maqdis. Because he knew that this is something that the Prophet wasallam worked on. And this is why we find that during his caliphate, it was his, one of his greatest desires that Baytul Maqdis comes under Muslim rule. And you can see from all the campaigns that he sent out, that is something that he wanted to achieve. He was only Khalifa for two years, but something he really wanted to achieve is that Baytul Maqdis come under Muslim rule. One of the armies that he sent, um, which was one of the greater armies, was under Sayyiduna Amr ibn al-As radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And he made great emphasis to him when he sent him uh, regarding Palestine and Jerusalem in particular. Although they didn't reach there in his lifetime, but great emphasis he laid to them that look, Jerusalem is of great importance to us. That is your goal. That is where we want you to go and conquer that particular area. This was said by Abu Bakr radiallahu The great historian Ibn al-Murajjah, he mentions that Abu Bakr radiallahu he wrote to Sayyiduna Khalid ibn al-Walid and he wrote a letter to him. And in the letter he wrote to him and said, when my letter reaches you, O Khalid, I want you to bring all of your armies to Asham, to Baytul Maqdis. And he says, Wallahi, I take the Qasam of Allah. It is more beloved to me that Allah allows you to conquer a small village of Baytul Maqdis than conquering a whole region from the regions of Iraq. So you're in that area going towards Iraq. I want you, as soon as you get this letter, We've entered into Palestine, into Baytul Maqdis, into Asham. Bring all of your armies here. Even if a small area of land comes under Muslim rule in this region, it's much more beloved to me. Why is it beloved to him? Because it was much more beloved to the Prophet than an entire region of Iraq. And thus Khalid bin Walid radiallahu ta'ala who responds. Now, the political strategy of the Prophet towards the conquest of Baytul Maqdis. Obviously, there was a lot of uh, strategies that had to be made. It wasn't some because the Byzantine army, okay, was, was all over 
the whole of Asham, they were ruling. Now, how to conquer with Muslims being in, 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 in such low numbers, I'm talking about during the Prophet's time, he planned all of this, he strategized all of this. So, the political strategy of the Prophet towards the conquest of Baytul Maqdis. And in particular, in regards to the army of Osama ibn Zayd, remember the Prophet ﷺ, how much emphasis he laid on this, even on his deathbed, in his final moments. He said, As-salah, as-salah, wa ma malakat aymanukum. Like, make sure you are punctual on your salah and look after your subordinates. And the third thing that he kept saying until his last moment, that no matter what happens, you must dispatch the army of Osama ibn Zayd. Why? Because the army of Osama ibn Zayd was going where? To that area, towards that. This was the political strategy of the Prophet And the Prophet had prepared Osama and told him exactly what to do. He was only 17 years old at the time and he made him, the Prophet made him the leader of the army and you've got great Sahaba like Omar and others who are under him in this army. This was something huge and one of the last and final things he's doing. And he said, look, no matter what, this army must go. And the Prophet in his final moments, he's about to leave the world. What an what, what, what a emotional time for the Sahaba. He said, no matter what happens, this army has to go. And he left, he left Medina. And they hadn't even reached the outskirts of Medina. And what happens? The news of the passing away of the Prophet reached them and they stopped. They thought, we can't carry on. Let's come back. So on one side, the Prophet passed away. In Masjid Nabi, as you know, uh, chaos. Sahaba don't know what to do. People have started leaving Islam already in their thousands, regions upon regions. The Arab, Arab places outside of this uh, uh, Medina, a lot of them, like the whole, the whole region, whole areas and communities became renegades. So many said, we're not going to give praise Allah anymore. We're not going to give zakat anymore. We're not Muslim anymore. How can Islam be without Muhammad? What, what kind of Islam is that? Very challenging time. And in that challenging moment, it was Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu who rose up and he consulted the Sahaba. He consulted the Sahaba. Now imagine, look what's going on at this moment in time. There's so much going on and he consulted the Sahaba. And he said, oh Sahaba, tell me, what do you say? What do you say? In all these challenges, what should we do regarding this army of Osama ibn Zayd? And Sahaba, even the great Sahaba, some of them said, you know what, let's take it easy. You've got so many challenges. The Prophet hasn't even been buried yet, right? You've got people leaving Islam. You've got someone claiming prophethood, right? You've got thousands of people just saying we're not Muslim anymore. How are we going to tackle all of this? And Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala, he stood up and he said, that if, if the wild animals of Medina were to come and bite me and kill me alive, and if they were to drag the wives of the Prophet in the streets of Medina, even then I would not move away from the path of the Prophet. The Prophet decided to send this army. Okay, and no matter what happens, I'm going to send this army regardless. You're not going to be able to move me from that path. No matter how challenging it, and he stood up to this. He said, yes, it's a difficult time. 
I'm, I'm not going to soften up at this time. This is what the Prophet ﷺ wanted and I'm going to do it. And the Sahaba realized that Abu Bakr is serious in what he's saying. And he said, right. And he went to Osama ibn Zayd and he walked the army all the way to the outskirts of Medina. And he was giving him the same advice that the Prophet ﷺ had originally given him because Abu Bakr heard it. And he told him the same directives given by the Prophet ﷺ telling him what to do. He went and told him. And it's quite amazing uh, what he told him to do. It, 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 because remember what's happened now. The Prophet ﷺ had told Osama ibn Zayd to go to a place in uh, Palestine, uh, in Jordan, called, uh, I think it's called Ubna, Yubna or Ubna, to go to that particular area. And what he had told him is to go to certain areas and set fire to some of the bushes. Okay, not to harm anybody not to trouble anybody, not to burn anything down, some of the bushes in certain areas to go and set fire to those areas in different, different places and then come back. And you might think such a big army and he's going there. And at that time you would think like, what would be the benefit of that? The benefit of that was when this army, they, they basically did all of this and they came back. By the time the news reached the Roman army, the Byzantine army, Okay, who was the ruler at the time? Who was their ruler? Okay, this is something for you to look into. When the news reached them, this was a massive blow. Why? Because they, start, because they started thinking, remember they didn't have WhatsApp at that time. So it would take much longer for news to reach them. So the two news, two articles of news reached them at the same time. So the first news they received, was the, the prophet of the Muslims has passed away. That's the news they received, the Romans, the Byzantine army, which was obviously for them, it's a relief, right? But at the same time, they, they got news that his followers, a massive army has come, it's come all over, they've managed to do X, Y, and Z, and they've slipped through the net as well and gone back. So thinking, what kind of people are these? This was the political strategy of instilling this kind of rab in the hearts of the people there, preparing them that look, it's better that you hand it over to us than us coming there and having to fight you. And this was a political strategy of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So they're thinking, what? Well, this is a time for mourning, a time to cry. And they're here in our lands without us even realizing. They've come, they've done what they had to do and they've gone. And, and, and the areas where they set fire, that was to give an impression that there were like thousands of them, much more than they were actually in the army. It seemed like they all made camps in different, different areas. Whereas there was no camps, there was no battle, there was none of that that, that happened. But this was part of the political strategy of the Prophet So Abu Bakr he gave the instructions to Osama ibn Zayd to go and carry this out. And then Abu Bakr when he, he sat with the Sahaba and he said to the Sahaba, look, he got the great Sahaba, the leaders, he sat them down and he said, look, I'm planning to do a full, full on operation that we're just going to go for it for the conquest of the whole of Asham, the whole of Palestine. We're just going to go for the whole thing now. What do you guys say? And the Sahaba agreed. And when they agreed, Abu Bakr then sent a letter inviting the people of Makkah the people of Yemen, the people of Ta'if and the people of Najd and all other areas of Muslim rule 
to partake in these expeditions. Sayyidina Amr ibn al-Asr when he received the invite from Abu Bakr I want you to partake in the conquest of Palestine. Do you know how he responded? I mean, this has been documented. The response of the Sahaba to the invitation of Abu Bakr to work towards the conquest of Baytul Maqdis. So how did he respond? Amr ibn al-Asr responded by saying, that, O Amir al-Mu'mineen, I, Amr, I am an arrow from the arrows of Islam, and you are the archer. I am an arrow from the arrows of Islam, and you are the archer. Choose the best and most perfect arrows and shoot them wherever you feel fit. We're ready. You shoot the arrow wherever you want, wherever you think is right. We are arrows from the arrows of Islam. That's what we are. You are the archer. So we're handing ourselves over to you because, because they were confident in Abu Bakr that whatever he does, it's because the Prophet ﷺ had the same mission and he fought for this mission, the conquest of Baytul Maqdis, till his final moments, as we can see with the army of Usama ibn Zayd, that he wanted Masjid al-Aqsa, Baytul Maqdis to be free and liberated, and thus this was being done. Abu Bakr radiallahu carried that on. Many armies were dispatched by Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu subsequently after this meeting, and what he would do with each army, he would walk with them to the outskirts of Medina. And to the Amir of the army, he would advise them, maintain taqwa, make sure you have ikhlas and sincerity, treat the army well, ensure that you, re you have a strong night watch team during the night, looking after the Muslims and strictly do not attack any civilians, any innocent person, anyone that's not fighting you, do not fight them. Do not harm any women, do not harm any children, do not destroy any bridges, do not destroy any churches. These were all instructions given by Muslim leaders to their armies and the generals that were going. And you can find this well documented. The first army dispatched by Abu Bakr was under the command of Amr ibn al-As. Remember this name, Amr ibn al-As. How many people? 3,000 people. And majority of them were Muhajireen and Ansar. Great, great people. Now, whilst out in battle, so you've got loads of armies there, gone in that direction. Whilst out in battle during this initial period, the Imam and the leader, if all of the armies come together, the Imam and the remember, at that time, the leader of the army would be the Imam of Salah as well. That's just how it was. The leader, that would be the Imam also. So the Imam and the leader would be Amr ibn al-As. This was the rule. That he's going to lead all of the Salah. If all the armies get together or some armies get together, you're not going to have a fight because the leader, the general, overwhelming leader, there'll be different leaders for different armies, but the, the main leader will be Amr ibn al-As radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And he remained the leader until later on it was changed to Khalid ibn al-Walid, which we'll speak about later on. And then we'll speak about how then Khalid was changed to Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah later on. We'll speak about that more uh, later on, inshaAllah. The great historian Ibn Asakir, in his book, Tarikh uh, Dimashq, The History of Damascus, he's actually got a ch chapter heading. You know when you have chapter headings? Okay. So he's actually got a chapter heading in his book on the history of Damascus. And one of the chapter headings are the discussion on Sayyiduna Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu's meticulousness and desire to conquer Asham. That's one of the chapter headings. And then it speaks about how meticulous and how much of a desire he had 
to conquer Asham. Why? Because this is what he learned from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Finally, we learn that Sayyiduna Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he passed away whilst his armies were engaging in battle with the Romans. So this is the contribution. Some of the, I've only mentioned a little bit. Abu Bakr radiallahu's contribution in this regard is massive. I've just mentioned certain points uh, in, in, in which we can see and learn uh, his contribution. Now, what's this week's campaign? This week's campaign, what I want you to do is go back inshallah throughout the week. Find any reliable, authentic view the answer. But if you read of what happened before this army was sent out, and you might get the answers there. So what resulted in the Prophet ﷺ creating this particular army? Why was there so much emphasis in going out? And in particular, why was Usama, and I think about it, a 17-year-old being the leader, appointed as the leader of the army? Okay, why, why was that done? And remember, he was, um, he was a black companion. Okay, so that's one thing. Number one. Number two, he was 17 years of age. Number two. Number three, his father was a slave. So he's a son of a slave. So son of a slave. He's black. He's a colored Sahabi. And he's 17 years of age. And despite that, the Prophet ﷺ, okay, held him up in so much esteem. Remember who he was. Okay. He wasn't a normal person. Because his father, who is Zaid, was known as the beloved of the Prophet ﷺ. And Usama... Okay, who is his son is the beloved of the beloved of the beloved of Allah. This is how he was known. His title was, okay, the beloved of the beloved of the messenger of Allah. So he wasn't a normal person. But why did, was he selected at such a tender age of 17 to lead this particular army and to read about this? That's something for you to do, inshallah, throughout the week. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us a tawfiq. We'll give a few moments now, inshallah, for the recitation of Quran. Jazakumullah khairah. Can someone can distribute some Quran, inshallah. And then we'll have some dhikr. We'll conclude with dua, ishraq, and then we'll have breakfast, inshallah, upstairs. Please do remain until the end. Jazakallah khairah. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Um, so very quickly, an update in terms of uh, any kind of news. Um, I think over the last so many weeks, we've been speaking about different incidents that have been happening, events that have been happening in Palestine um, so I thought today we'll share something um, I, yeah we can look at it as a bit more positive inshallah um, so that's just regarding um, update in terms of travel so since uh, and to understand the, the the damage this has caused on the on the ground um, and in Masjidul Aqsa is that it's probably one of the only places alongside I think is it Australia? We've been very, very strict. Where since the pandemic, um, travel was completely restricted. So people, Muslims in particular, uh, but could not go there. And the only time since the beginning of the pandemic, they opened was in November. And that was only for a couple of weeks. And then with the new variant, they shut everything down again. Even UK, USA, other countries came onto the red list. And the impact, so that, that's, that you might think, okay, well, people weren't able to travel, but the impact that had was that inside Masjid al-Aqsa itself, a lot of changes were made and a lot of challenges the Muslims are facing. And um, we've spoken about them already in the past. And then obviously you've got the local people, the Muslims that are there 
who lost out, who actually tourism is what their business is, their livelihood survives on. I'm talking about the Muslim neighborhood. People go from different parts of the world and support them, and that's their livelihood. So it's been quite devastating um, in, in all aspects. So just today, today they've decided to scrap all of the red lists. So no countries on the red list. And they've lifted all travel restrictions. And they've said that all these restrictions we put in place is so that the new variant wouldn't come there. But it's already come and it's already spreading. And they've said, well, having restrictions in place is not making any difference whatsoever. So there's no need to put any restriction on travel. So from now onwards, if anybody did want to travel, there are no restrictions in place in terms of travel. Yes, you do need to be vaccinated and you do need to have a PCR test before you go and when you arrive, but that's standard practice anyway. But we can see even these things, I think, will be relaxed as time goes by. So something positive, inshallah, that um, UK is no longer on their red list and no countries. They've just from today onwards, the first today is the first day. So from today, people can travel, a Muslim from different parts of the world. And they've said that they don't want to keep any country on the red list anymore. It's just open travel from now on, inshallah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us an opportunity to visit the blessed places. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the ability to become part of this movement of liberation where a time is going to come when the Masjid al-Aqsa Bayt al-Maqdis will be liberated. It's about whether you and I become part of this. And it could be in terms of making dua, in terms of just making thought, or even attending these gatherings and just talking about it and learning about it and raising awareness. May Allah give us a tawfiq. We'll make some dhikr inshallah and then conclude with dua. Recite the Rashid of Allah and لا إله إلا الله لا إله إلا الله لا إله إلا الله Allah, la ilaha illallah, 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 la ilaha ill
Astaghfirullah, 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 Astaghfirullah,